This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 124. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hi there, and welcome to the show. My name is Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here to learn with me about apartment building investing. And I'm even more excited about this new book that's coming out, that's already come out called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. And it's basically, it's a yellow book. It's the, it's a blueprint to how to become financial free with real estate investing. And it may not be in the way that you think, which is typically a, a single family houses. It is, of course, apartment building. So in this book, I outline exactly why apartments are the best way to do it and exactly how to do your first deal. So this is brand new off the press, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. You can find it on Amazon, just Google my name or Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing, or you can go to financialfreedomthebook.com. So speaking of financial freedom, today's guest is Josh Eitington, and he has achieved financial freedom. I met him, gosh, seven years, six, seven years ago, back when he uh, was in his mid-20s. He had just done his first deal, and and now we just reconnected to kind of uh, look and reconnect to see what his journey has been. And uh, back then, he still had a full-time job. Today, He's a full-time investor. So he's done eight deals. Uh, he's done it in a few different markets. He's raised millions of dollars. And I want him to tell you about how he did his first deal. We talk about the first deal a lot. And then how he transitioned to full-time investor. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Josh. Here we go. Josh, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's great to reconnect. We met many, many years ago. And I kind of lost track when we reconnected recently and you've done so many fantastic things. So I had to have you come back on the show to share what you have done over the last year. So just catch us up to speed a little bit. Uh, give us an introduction, a little background on yourself. Sure, sure. Yeah, I guess we, we probably met over five years ago or, or if I remember. But so my name's Josh Eidengon. Thanks again for having me. I'm the owner of JAE Property Group. So we're a real estate investment company. We purchase multifamily property. Um, outside of the New York metro area. So we focus on um, just secondary and larger tertiary markets and value-add multifamily real estate, 50 to 150 units. And, and that's me in, in short. Well, welcome to the club. We always focus on value-add uh, opportunity. Now, when I, when I met you, you were I'd already done your first deal uh, in multifamily at the time. And you were much younger back then. You're still pretty young, right? So you guys, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started in real estate, how that came about. Sure, sure. So I started, I, I hired a um, mentor, coach, consultant, paid quite a bit of money to, to start with that. Um, but what it forced me to do was just take action in, into that space and, and world in some way, shape or form. I, I knew I wanted to be involved in real estate. I, I, multifamily always made sense, sense to me. It was residual, ongoing. I was even really young, was very conservative and just appreciated the multifamily checks and balances that were in place with that asset class. But anyway, with that, that mentor, it, it pushed me to my first deal, um, which at, at 25, I was actually still living at, at home, um, paying my dad to rent my bedroom. Of course you were. <laughs> of course. Kids never leave the house anymore. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but let's back up a little bit here. Uh, you Obviously, you got started uh, and, and you were younger with real estate. Why did you get started with real estate in the first place? What was the problem you were trying to solve? And why did you think that multifamily was a solution to that problem? 
So I was at the time working a, a nine to five uh, out of college. I had been doing that for a few years, working for a software company. And I, I really just felt long-term I wanted freedom, um, whether it be both time and from a money perspective. And it was something that was very, I'm a numbers person, real estate, multifamily was very quantifiable. And I felt that whether I'm looking five, 10, 15, 20 years out, um, that was just a path that made sense to me. And, and that really became my focus. So most people aren't like you, Josh. First of all, they're much older because you haven't experienced as much pain as a lot of people who've been working 15 years. You obviously said, hey, I, I can't continue doing this. I don't want to do this. But a lot of people start with single family house investing because it's what people do around them. It seems they can wrap their head around it. And yet you seem to skip that step. And, and the reason the reason for that is for my is as, as a people consider it an advanced strategy, uh, they feel they don't have the experience for it and they don't have the money for it. And they want to first accumulate both before they get started with this quote advanced strategy. You obviously said, hey, uh, those don't concern me. Why did those not concern you? And in other words, why did you skip that step that many of us go for go through five or 10 years of single family house investing? Well, I think some of it was dumb luck. In truth, I think, um, you know, I, I looked at a lot. I, I looked at doing small multifamily projects locally. I looked at how a lot of people get started buying their first two-family home, living in half and renting half. But when I, I did meet this coach mentor, just strategically, it made a lot of sense to me um, to get more scale outside of this area, to be able to leverage. And, you know, I knew at that point, pretty quickly and early on that this was just the business I wanted to be in without really understanding what's involved in it. It just, it made sense. And I, I there was, there's definitely passion behind it. Now, in your mind, how are you going to overcome the two major objections that I hear? Uh, you know, I don't have any experience and I don't have any money. Like, were those some of the issues you had when you were thinking about this? And if so, in your mind, how do you think you could overcome those? It's tough. Um, it's tough. And even, so my first project was 20 units in Cincinnati, Ohio, distressed, bought from a bank for $175,000, and um, it needed about $200,000 worth of work. It was just a complete disaster. I, I partnered with someone who I was connected to through my mentor at the time, um, and we collectively raised money to do this deal. Um, I, I invested personally about $30,000, my partner did as well, and we raised um, just right around $200,000. And, and that wasn't easy being a 25-year-old with no track record that's asking people ranging from my, you know, grandma who said, absolutely not, you're crazy, to, you know, just family, friends, ex-coworkers, really anyone that I thought would take a look at it. And, and that, you know, I think if there's a, that's probably the most difficult part. And I think no matter what size deal I'm doing next, nothing will be as difficult as that first raise. Yeah, that first deal is by far the difficult, uh, the most difficult. And I talk about that a lot uh, on the show. But let's let's go back a little bit because when you're when you're looking at this multifamily thing, what other challenges in your mind uh, or objections in your mind did you have that you felt could have held you back from moving forward? Like in your mind, as you're sitting there and maybe you're listening to reading a book and going, "Oh, should I do this? Should I not?" What 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 were you struggling with in your mind about whether to move forward with this? I think there's a, there were a lot of reasons to not do it especially if you would tour the deal, you would see the the war zone that it was in. And there were endless reasons not to do it. I, I think at at the time, it was something that I, I truly believed in. And, and I knew that there were unknowns. Um, I felt good about my, just from looking at comps, even at their highest level, I felt good about just the basis and the deal itself, where, hey, I could only screw this up much knowing what I know. 
Um, and with that, you know, I, I made the commitment to go all in. It's, it's not something where you could say all in mentally. It's not something you could say, hey, let, let's start going down this path. You're never going to close the deal. Um, and I see that at every level. There has to be a commitment um, to getting fully across the finish line because there's going to be a lot of um, curveballs along the way, frankly. So you talked about uh, commitment. Uh, so really deciding that you're going to do something. And you also said that there's a lot of many, many reasons you should not have done the deal. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more and and how you overcame the multiple reasons you shouldn't have done this deal? So I shouldn't have done it. It was a successful deal. So I don't want to say I shouldn't have done it. Of course it was in, in hindsight, right. but you're sitting there biting your nails going, hey, I can think of at least 10 reasons why I shouldn't do this deal. And you did it anyway, possibly to your better judgment. But why did you move ahead anyway? And what, what were some of those reasons, by the way? Just, just walk us through your conversation in your brain. So some of those reasons were just the, the condition of the property, especially then I had no background in construction, renovation work, anything across any class of property. I had never worked with this property manager before. That's that was my key piece to the puzzle there, where, you know, that I was hoping would work successfully. You know, I was taking on a lot of debt. I it was a short sale, not a foreclosure, and they actually cast debt again on the property. So I was taking on that debt, and I actually raised money in the form of debt. Um, so there was a, a lot of debt on top of that that um, could give gave pause, frankly. What allowed you to kind of move forward uh, and succeed in buying that deal? What do you think are some of the factors that, uh, that had a play Well, there? one, I think it was my coach that was there and just reinforcing what I was doing, that it was on the right path. You know, I, I don't think, I, I could say with certainty, I certainly would have done that deal without him. And I, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without, you know, paying an exorbitant amount of money to, to have that coach. But I, I you know, I, I think there was a just, belief in in the strategy itself and in the the basis in the deal and that the 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 focus on basis for any property has just become sort of my underlying focus e- even at a much larger scale now that's your end all be all safety net what do you mean by that can you talk a little bit more about that when i say basis that means my my all in number on any deal so maybe you're paying $20,000 a unit today but your capital budget and everything, closing costs, has you all in at $30,000 a unit. Where does that stack up relative to other trades in the marketplace? And so what makes you feel good about that deal when you look, look at that basis? Well, I was buying it $175,000 across 20 units. I was paying less than $10,000 a unit for it. Um, and it was a pretty strong underlying area. So more than anything, I, I had decent homes around me. It was on a pretty main road, good visibility, and other deals that had sold were closer to the $30,000 unit range where I felt all in, if I'm in the mid-20s, you know, it, it feels good. Yeah, you felt like you had you a know, margin for error there. I'm definitely simplifying it, but I, I think that, you know, it's something that I continue to focus on now. We're going to talk about some of your other deals as well, uh, but how did you guys, how were you able to raise that money? I think you said that it was a, a stressful situation and, you know, you and your first raise, especially raising $200,000 yourself can be an overwhelming idea. So you get into this thing. Did you already have the money committed before you put this under under a contract? Or was it a, a true nail biter where you just put it on a contract and then raise the money right after? Like, what did that look like? So I had definitely been letting people know that I was working in real estate and in this space and just trying to uh, make that ask a little bit softer when the time came. Um, so I was definitely trying to preempt as much as possible, call it six months leading up to it. But, you know, it, it, 
it was tough. I, I raised that. So I said in the form of debt, I provided personal guarantees at 9% basically to raise money, which is something I'd, I'd probably never do again. Um, but it, it's something that I, I think was very sellable. And it got people on board and there was a safety net that they felt. And I, I raised money at that time in, in $10,000 chunks, um, which, <laughs> which is a, a, bit, a bit of an administrative headache, but it, it, it got me there. And I, I, the majority of investors were $10,000. But again, it was that, that first deal and, and that ended up opening doors to the second and third. Well, let's talk about the second and third here in just, in just a minute before we move on to the first deal, which is the hardest to do. You know, you would always, mm-hmm. sometimes looking back on your on your first deal, you're like, I would never do that deal again today. And if I did do it, I certainly wouldn't do it the way I did it. But, you know, a lot of times, otherwise, uh, we would never do that first deal. So sometimes we get into it out of complete sheer ignorance, dumb luck, and and and, and otherwise. And so you, you probably wouldn't raise money $10,000 at a time anymore. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, how you financed a deal? So just describe the capital stack and also describe what it means to raise capital in the form of debt for your investors. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So for that first deal, I, I raised money through promissory notes. Um, and that's basically someone saying they'll, they'll lend me X amount of money and I will pay them back X percent on their money every year until that note is due and they return their principal. So in this deal in particular, the first deal, I received a bank loan from the bank that was actually working through the short sale, which was actually about 80% loan to purchase. And then the remaining difference was really funded through promissory notes at at 9%, about $200,000 worth across each of the investors. I would, it's like, like you said before and alluded to before, it's probably not something I would do again. And it's not necessarily something I would suggest to first time investors, syndicators, because I do think it brings a lot of really have to have a exciting opportunity for that to pencil out on paper. But, you know, it made sense for me. And especially as my first deal, it was easier to sell showing something that's personally guaranteed, where I'm really the one carrying the burden of the risk and not the investor. Um, what can you describe uh, the value at opportunity? Like, what what was the problem with this deal that you felt you could solve? How did you solve it? And then, uh, did you finally sell it or or refinance out? So, t- talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So this was back in 2012. The deal previously sold in 2007 or eight. So the previous buyer bought it for five hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it was just completely over leveraged. They had a bank loan that they were just underwater almost, I mean, very quickly thereafter. Uh, so the opportunity, it was occupied with four tenants, uh, none were paying. So four of 20, 20% occupied, 0% economically occupied. And the opportunity was to come in, retenant the property, spend, I don't remember the capital breakdown, but spend about $5,000 a unit for interiors and spend somewhere between fifty dollars and $70,000 for exteriors, mechanical improvements, and really just stabilize the property. We weren't focused on rental upside or, or anything like that. It was bringing the property to, to market today. And the plan originally going into it was to, to refinance and hold it forever. Um, but we decided after two years that, you know, this was a, a grind and a battle every step of the way. Let's... Um, sort of ring the cash register and move on to whatever's next. Yeah, that is that is fabulous. Uh, and you said uh, the first deal, obviously, is, is the hardest to do, takes the longest, and typically is the smallest. What happened after that? Uh, talk a little bit about your second and third deal and 
How long did it take for you to do that second deal and, and kind of what, what happened since then? Sure. So I did, and this was while I was working full-time also, um, but I did about a deal or two from then on a, a year, each increasing in size. So my next deal was 44 units um, in the same market, same property management company. And then after that, a 62-unit deal, also same market, same management company. And then I actually continued to scale and left that area. And my following deal was a 70-unit deal um, down in Florida, different management company through a different broker relationship um, where I, I sort of did the same and started over fresh in a new market. That's amazing. So a couple of questions here. At what point did you actually quit your job? When did that happen uh, in, in the deals? So that it was only within the last within the last 12 months, within the last nine to 12 months. So I had done about, I would say the, the eighth deal was the one where as that was going, um, I had the conversation of, hey, this isn't going to work long term. I'd like to begin to gradually exit. Um, and I did just that. I, I worked with my previous employer. I, I sort of consulted part time for three months to make the transition easier. But it, it took eight deals. You know, I think for a lot of prospective syndicators, it, it definitely it's a business that you can do really well, but it, it does take time. And, and it's, it's all about scale, I think, um, where when you can put some scale behind it, that's where you could really see the numbers get a little more exciting. Now, do you think you could have uh, left your job a little earlier or were you just very cautious in transitioning over? I mean, I'm always pretty cautious. It's a, <laughs> I probably could have. In hindsight, I, I should have left my job five years ago and been buying every single thing I could have possibly gotten my hands on. Hmm. At the same time, I, you know, I, I had left my job at a software company to work for a real estate related company where I, I also learned a lot while there. So it, it really fueled me and where I am today. And I, I think is, has built a lot of the bricks for me to be able to just scale that much easier moving forward. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's next for you? So I'm, I'm excited about what's ahead. I'm actually, well, I'm actually in contract on a 90 unit deal in, in Indianapolis, which is almost fully committed right now. But what, looking ahead to 2019, I'm going to continue on the same path. I, I mean, I want to do two to three good deals a year and do that for a long time. I, I think what's going to change is not going to be the number of deals, but the size of deals. Uh, my focus right now is the 5 to $15 million space of deal size. It's always going to be syndicated. I'm always going to be investing in my own deals, but the plan is just size. And I think you'll, you get some additional efficiencies as you continue to scale every step of the way. What do you, uh, what do you love about this business, Josh? So I, I think there's, an, it, it, there's a lot of creativity to it from a lot of perspectives. I think the ability to partner in different ways, um, to invest in different ways, to find deals in different ways. At, at the end of the day, it, it's people oriented. And I, I think I've had my most success by having the right people and the right desk on each opportunity. And each deal is like its own little mini business. So it, it, it's fun sort of understanding the deal, the opportunity, and, and finding the right formula to optimize that property. And how is your life different now than it was when you were working full time? Like, what's your, how is your day different? What's, you know, what's your life like compared to back then? Well, I, I haven't shaved. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. On you do a, look a little <laughs> like a bum. Yes, yes. I noticed. <laughs> if I knew I'd be sharing my face, I might have at least put on a collared shirt or something. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I work more. Um, I'm, I'm constantly working and, and it's because I, I want to be. Um, I, I think that's the big difference. I'm never getting up, you know, not wanting to necessarily. 
but I, I think it's it's just a even though I'm working more hours, it's a freedom of time that I just definitely appreciate to be able to run out and and, and do something. And I, I like the the burden and the excitement of of building and growing my own business here. What are some of the considerations as uh, some of the listeners here about scaling your business as you get into the, you know, close to a thousand or even above that? What are some of the challenges or things that you foresee becoming a challenge as you scale the business? So I think there's a few perspectives. There's, there's the equity side where I think at some point in everyone's business that's doing this, they need to decide where the focus, where their equity is going to come from. Is it going to be more of an institutional path? Um, or maybe a family office path, or or working with high net worth individuals for you know longer term. So you know I think that's a a crossroad that I haven't even hit yet, I'm, and I'm still sort of gathering and figuring out what path I'm going to take necessarily. Um, but I, I think that's a challenge, and I think that I think it's an area where you just have to be careful because I think there's a way there is a way to go wrong there from that perspective, and then continue. Uh, from a scale perspective, I think being careful from a partnership side that, you know, people talk about partnering all the time, um, you know, JV this, JV that, different creative solutions, like I said, um, but really understanding who that partner is, expectations from all sides, you know, I, I think is important. It's a challenge. I, I think it's a, having the right partner for any given deal is, is critical. Yeah, so so clearly now the, the the situation you're in right now is completely different than you were five years, six years ago when we met, which is fabulous. It's, I just I'm just I'm just amazed at the, your at your journey. Now rewind the clock a little bit. If someone wants to do what you do, what advice do you have for them? How can they get started? What they should what should they do over the next you know say three to twelve months to kind of get going with this stuff? Because you're not going to be able to quit your job in twelve months, but you might be able to do a, a deal in three to twelve months. So what advice, what should someone start thinking about uh, with regards to next steps? So I think, you know, assuming you're, you're starting like I was at a younger age, um, one, start saving money. No matter what in this business, it, it, it helps. As many home runs as I can hit with deals, um, the ones that are making the most money are the people that are investing the most. And it, it's not me. Um, it's, it's, it's being able to invest in your own deal, I think, provides a lot of value. It also makes it that much easier for you to sell the deal prospective investors saying, hey, I'm, I'm aligned with you. I'm investing X into a deal. Um, so save money, I think, really inform yourself. I'm still learning. And I, I've been doing this for, for six years, and that's not going to end. But I think committing to ongoing education on this side is really important. And, and trying to find, I think, the right people around you that are going to push and going to help. Something I did actually... Um, with someone I came across at networking, which was sort of a nothing more than like an accountability meeting. We would talk every Sunday um, that first year for an entire year just to say, hey, what are you working on? What are you doing? What did you do this past week? And if for no other reason, it, it makes you feel guilty um, if you don't do something. Uh, so I, I would suggest that for a lot of people just getting started as well. That's awesome. Did you have any, what kind of major aha moments have you had in your career and, and your giant light bulb went off that might make a difference in, in our lives? You know, I, I think the biggest one would be just location. It's its simplest form of real estate. Everyone says location, location, location. I don't get excited at all by rougher deals in rougher neighborhoods. They could be selling at a 15 cap. I don't, I don't care. I think being in a strong location, 
just some market, not even talking the entire market overall and growth and jobs and population, but being around good, good shopping and decent homes and uh, decent schools, uh, decent retail, that provides so much value in the, the class of the tenant you have in there in operation operational consistency so that that took frankly it took till my third deal to realize but now that i'm i'm there there's a baseline of location that i just won't look that's awesome what was some of the major mistake that you that you made you know it's easy to call out your your mistakes in hindsight um i i think from a deal perspective there's a lot more deals that i could have been doing looking back just especially having seen what the market has done over the last five, six, seven years. So from that, that perspective, that's, that's maybe an easy answer. I think from a construction management perspective, I learned a lot on that side in terms of just overseeing that process and you know, holding back money and making sure you are ahead of uh, making sure work being done is ahead of it and having what checks and balances you could possibly have in place. I, I never really got crushed on that side, but I, I think, you know, I, I think there were some money that certainly could have been saved along the way by being a little more defined in that process. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Josh, how can people get a hold of you, connect with you? So, uh, you could definitely go to my website, uh, jaepropertygroup.com, and my contact information's there. I'm happy to lend whatever advice I can to a starting off investor or someone that's more seasoned. That's uh, fantastic, Josh. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to reconnect with you and uh, just uh, looking forward to see what you're doing next. You too. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys. Hope you enjoy this interview with Josh. Uh, I just want to uh, summarize some of the key points, at least that I can remember. And I remember when I met Josh, uh, he was uh, he had just completed some some coaching and mentoring, um, and it made a it made a significant difference with him. And he attributes his accelerated timeline as a mid twenties guy at the time to the education that he's received. And so I hear that from almost everybody, uh, people who have not done it and have floundered, made a lot of mistakes, and then people who have done it and accelerate their timeline, skipped a bunch of single family house investing and shortcut the, the circuit by five to 10 years. And Josh was the, the one of the guys who has done that. So I encourage you to get education of some sort or another. Um, I have the ultimate guide to buying apartment buildings with private money. It's the all-in course. You can find more about that by going to themichaelblank.com forward slash products and you can find out all about uh, the program there. I also have coaching, michaelblank.com forward slash coaching. We have a, a very comprehensive 12-month coaching program and the people there are getting results. They're raising money. They're doing deals. So if you can afford and you think coaching is going to help you there, definitely check us out. Schedule a free strategy session with us. That's at the michaelblank.com forward slash coaching. Uh, other things I remember Josh saying implicitly was to start raising money long before you have it under contract. He said to basically soften the ask. I think he said soften the ask, meaning that you've already told him about it. And so when you ask, it's not a whack upside the head. Hey, I'm raising money. It's like, oh my gosh, you've been talking about this for nine months. Now you finally have a real deal and, and I'm more likely to say I'm in. And some of the advice to the novice is save money. Okay, uh, you don't need money in this game. Uh, you can raise it, but he's right. If you have money, it simplifies things. You can put a deposit down quickly. You can fund the due diligence expenses. You can hop on a plane. You, you can raise all that money, but certainly helps to have that money. And of course, to have the money, you get a much better return investing in your own deals. So saving money, controlling expenses is a key advice. Um, definitely educate yourself. We talked about that constantly, like a continuing education. What kind of seminars, conventions, events can you go to to meet new people and learn new things? 
And then he talked about surrounding himself with the right people, accountability partners, and things of that nature. Uh, and so the coaching certainly is one is, is one thing. Uh, working on a mastermind, I'll tell you more about that in a subsequent release. And this is really for more advanced investors, people who have 100 more units or so and need accountability and really want to scale their business. So that's something that I, I want to participate in. A lot of people who have done deals are looking for ways to uh, resources to scale their business. So really, we're surrounding yourself with the right people is, is big. And then his big aha moment was, Location, uh, better is better, uh, and it's something a realization that I that I'm coming to around. And I knew this from my house flipping days that location is everything. Um, I'm really starting to gravitate to to more class B property. You know, built in the late '80s, uh, '90s, maybe early 2000s. Problem with there is that the returns are lower. So it's really a matter of educating your uh, your investors and polling investors if they're interested in holding property that uh, is nicer more stable, less risky, and, and return for a lower return. Something to test with your investors as well. So a couple pieces of homework. If you love the show, uh, hop on to iTunes if you're on an iDevice and leave me a review. I'd love to read those. Make sure you guys go to Amazon and buy this book. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's priced for, but it's going to be priced under $10. So Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing, the blueprint to quitting your job with real estate specifically with apartment buildings, even if you don't have any prior experience or your own cash. It's all in a in a book, but this is a substantial work. It's not a 20-page ebook. It's got 250 pages in there, and it's got a free companion course as well, meaning that you can get free access to a course I created to complement the book. So there's tons and tons of value there. So definitely check out the book on Amazon. It is there right now. So listen, guys, hope you found that valuable. Thank you so much for listening in, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.